Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12 and verse 20. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. It's on page 921 of the Bibles um, we have provided. We have a short story in Acts 20 uh, this this morning. Um, it, it is a it's a fantastic story. It, it's just a, just a few verses that tells large truths uh, about our life and about the Lord. Um, even as we sing wonderful truths and and seek for uh, the Lord to write these truths on our hearts while we're singing them, we're we're going to be reminded that stories exist um, for the purpose of telling us truths about our Lord. So if you love stories uh, like I do, uh, I hope you'll you'll be amazed at the truth that we see in this short passage. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us to hear the truth for what it is. Let's pray. Oh God, I have great desires for what you will do with your word. And I am incapable of making it happen. I am a man. And these people who will hear your word are just people. We're dust. And we will not behold glory if you will not command it. And so we pray that you would glorify yourself as the only God. And that with this time, you would cause your word to succeed. Send it out and do good. Send it out and lift up your son. Send it out and overcome every lesser glory that we are all tempted toward. Send out your word and make your people holy and giving us eternal life, knowing you, our God and your son. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please stand at the reading of God's word for us as a church this morning. Acts 12 verses 20 through 25 reads this way. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat, upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. 
But the Word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. You may be seated. This is campaign season. This is political ad season. Um, sure, you're seeing this. Uh, I, I want to alert you to a campaign slogan you may not have heard um, because you may not be paying that much attention to Bernie Sanders, but he, um, his, his, his campaign slogan is not me, us. That's loaded, um, his, his attention to us. But he, he, he wants, he says, a revolution. He wants to overturn the big, bad, enemy of capitalism or whatever. Uh, he, he, he's recruiting people to a movement. Don't you want to get involved in a movement? Can't you get behind this big vision I have that's not just about me, but it's about us? The one you're more familiar with is not make America great again. Now that, that job has been done, apparently. Uh, it's keep America great. Two different slogans, but getting at the same thing, if you'll pay attention. Politicians know something about the human heart. And that is, no one wants to be insignificant. Everyone wants to be great or to be part of something that is greater than themselves. No one has to be taught to hate meaninglessness. Everyone in this world, everyone in this room is looking for something meaningful. You're trying to live for something great and and bigger than yourself. No one wants to be a no one. Another way to put this is you live for glory. You do, from the first breath, live for glory. That's the word in verse 23. It's the key to this passage. This is a passage about glory. But maybe that term is not familiar enough to you. You you can use the word fame. You live for fame. You can use the word beauty. You live to experience beauty and to point others to what you believe is most beautiful in this world. Another word you could use is name. You and I live for, to to lift up someone's name. Someone's name. That you want to be lifted up above all, whether that's America or us. We want to lift up something greater than ourselves. And the question, regardless of what happens in November, focus now on something that will affect you forever, eternity. The question you need to focus on right now is not communists or capitalists. It's not America. It is whose glory 
will you live for? Because you are living for glory. The question, the only question is whose glory are you living for? And our story tells a very simple truth. Here's the moral of the story. Live for the glory of the Lord or you will not live at all. That is the sermon in a sentence. That is what story, uh, Herod's story tells us. You live for the glory of the Lord or you will not live at all. I'm going to give you a simple outline to our passage. And I see this from the first word in verse 24, which is the word but. In other words, the first half of this passage is compared to the second half. Something happens in the first half that is then compared on the other hand, but something else happens uh, in the second half. And very simply, it is the comparison between a voice that is silenced and a word that is sovereign. And this is very significant to the question, whose glory will I live for? Point number one, verses 20 through 23, a voice struck down. A voice struck down. Meet the characters of our story. Verse 20, starving subjects. The starving subjects of King Herod in Tyre and Sidon. They are starving and needy. So they have to look to the hand who can provide. The trouble is the hand belongs to a man who is volatile. This is the same guy we were introduced to at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, who killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he's preaching that there's a different king in Israel than him. These starving subjects are in a very vulnerable situation because of who they have to look to to meet their need. It is a self-centered king. After he killed James, the next two verses in verses 3 and 4, he looks at what the people of Israel, his own constituents, think about him killing the preachers of Jesus. And he sees that they love that. And so he goes and he arrests the greatest preacher, Peter, and means to kill him so that he can get the pleasure of the people. In other words, so that he can be seen as the one who gives them the life that they want, the things that they want, that he might be the glorious king they're longing for. This is a self-centered evil man who, in verse 19, once Peter is sprung from prison and his his uh, plot to kill Peter is foiled. This is the man, Herod, who kills the guards who allowed it to happen, who stopped him from getting the praise from the people that he was looking for at Passover. Starving subjects and a wicked king. What should Tyre and Sidon do if their life depends on a man like that. They won't have food. They can't feed their people unless he gives them food. They have to find Blastus. Some guy on the inside who they can persuade to to get a message to the ear of the king who is furious with them. 
And so Blastus brings this message. I imagine on a cardboard box, we'll grovel for food. We will do whatever it takes, evil king, to make you happy to give us food. And so we see the next character come into view. Verse 21 and 22. Do you see the splendid sovereign king of Israel? He is presented to us as in all of his splendor. He on this day that is holy, he assembles a large group of people who will he wants a big crowd. So he waits for the appointed holy day when they will all be there and they're We can see that the groveling of the starving subjects has appeased him. Now he's going to actually give them the food. He wants to make this big scene. Because they have done what is needed to appease him. They've made peace with him. They come with one accord and say, we can't eat without you. We've made you angry. We'll do whatever it takes. It is clear that Luke wants us to see Herod in all of his glory. In all of his glory. That is why the word king keeps being repeated. That is why we see the king's chamberlain and he, 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 they belong, or they depend on the king's country. And, and when he goes there, he goes in his royal robes. And, and when he addresses them, he does so from his throne that he's put there in the cathedral that day. And he gives them this royal and kingly oration to them. The people he is mercifully now going to give food to. Josephus is a Jewish historian who doesn't believe in Jesus, but he tells of this story. And what happened that day that Herod assembled this crowd in the theater of Caesarea. And, and the day, that day he wore robes that were made totally of silver. Pure silver. So that when the light of the sun was shining, it would be blinding the people. He was reflecting glory. As he's giving this self-exalting speech, they have now done what it takes to appease my anger. Now I will be gracious to you lowly peons and give you food. Now what is dramatic is what kind of king this is supposed to be. Now that this sort of thing, whenever, whenever they say, when they're blinded by the light of his royal majesty, and they hear this, these grand words and say, that's the voice of a God. That's not the voice of a man. That sort of thing is typical in Roman culture because they would look at Caesar as if he was a God. The problem is this is the king of Israel. This is the king of monotheists who do not believe there's any but one God. It's certainly not the king. And so what will happen? Verse 23. The king of kings feeds Herod to worms. This tragedy is a comedy. Look how grand your king is. Send him a few worms. The first page of Herod's story and the last page of Herod's story make a very simple 
and profound point that your life depends on. How can the lofty one of verse 20 become the lowly one of verse 23? This is the point of the story. How can the provider of food become food for the lowly? It is at this moment. The king becomes dinner. The moment he accepts the glory that only God deserves. Really, this this will play out in your life and in mine in thousands of ways every day. If you want a verse for your refrigerator, here's the one you need to wake up thinking about. God casts down the proud and He lifts up the lowly. That's guaranteed. He casts down the proud, but He lifts up the lowly. Herod's life terminates when glory terminated in him. In other words, when he said, that's the final destination of your words and praise. If you're going to give praise, it should end in me. I'm the subject. I'm the point. That's the voice of a God, not of a man. And when he did not give that glory away, when it terminated in him, when it stopped in him, his life was gone. This short story tells what the whole book tells. You were made to reflect glory, not receive glory. We were made to reflect it. He's he's wearing reflecting garb to make them think high of himself. The light from the sun brings glory to God and he takes it for himself. We were made to reflect glory, not to receive it. Now, I know you're not a king. I'm not a king. And our opposition to God, our competition with God, is on a much smaller scale, and some of them smaller than others. But our pride, your pride, will provoke the very same God who is provoked here in our passage. Everyone despises Clark Kent. You don't want to be Clark Kent. You don't want to be a nobody who no one recognizes is boring and clumsy. Everyone wants to be Superman. Everyone wants, even though no one says that we're too sophisticated for that, Everyone wants the praise that we hear in this passage. That's the voice of a God. You do that like a God would do that thing. You cook like a goddess. No one cooks like you. No one can write like you. No one can mother like you. No one can parent like you. No one can make money like you. Ain't nobody like you in this company. You're the best in this family. Everyone wants it. 
Everyone wants it. You want to test? You watch your heart. The next time you're in the presence of of, 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 of a word that comes like this, the voice of a God, or, or the smaller way that we would hear it because we're not kings and queens. The smaller ways we hear it is when someone else says something kind about someone else. You watch your heart in that moment. And you may get really good at being humble and not showing that you care that someone else is praised, but you watch your heart and what you want to say right and what you hope they will say right after. This is real. We need to fight because of because our breath depends upon this. We need to fight every attempt we make to use the people in our life to lift us up. That's what he's doing. They are an occasion for his glory. And you and I do the same thing in so many ways every day. We use people. When the children don't keep your law. I'm not talking God's law. I mean your application of what you want. How do you respond? When your friends don't acknowledge your efforts, they just go unnoticed. How often are we thinking, will they recognize me? Am I important to them at all? Do they, will they say anything at all with this great offering that I've given to them? Has my life affected them? What will they say at my funeral? We are all tempted to use the people God has made to reflect His glory, to lift us up. And, and then we are all, like Herod, tempted to abuse the people who will refuse to do that. Let me just think back. How many relationships in your past are broken and non-relationships anymore because ultimately, deep down, you know, they refuse to get with the program? And love you the way you wanted to be loved, or praise you the way you know you you deserve to be praised. Listen to what Isaiah says, what the Lord says. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? Profaned. My glory I will not give to anyone else. Listen to me, my people. I called you. You're mine because I called you. I am He. I alone am He. I am the first. I am the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm the point. Live for the glory of God. And the only way you will do this is if you forsake your Living for our own glory is no way to live at all. And the point is made in this passage, if you live for your own glory, you will not live at all. But it's also no way to live. Living for your kid's glory 
and how, what, they, what kind of person they can become with your leadership, living for your organization's glory. Look how much better this organization is than that organization. Living for your spouse's glory. Look how great my tiny, vain glories. Meaningless, empty, not worthy of your life glories. Vain glories. Not only do they terminate in a person, they're vain. They try to build up people who should not be built up. It's vain glory. It's, it's like, it's like vapor. It's like breath. It's just, it's, you can't hold on to it. It's nothing heavy, like glorious, heavy. It's not worth it. It's no way to live. Reflect the glory of God as the image of God who's made to reflect how great He is. Do not receive glory. So we see the servants of Christ who actually know the King. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, whenever, remember, uh, Cornelius bows down to him as if he's a God because he's used to that sort of thing. He's a Roman. Whenever he bows down to Peter, he says, you must not do that. We need to have Peter's words in our heart all the time. Whenever glory's offered, you must not do that. I am just a man. Every Good thing that you have and every good thing that you do is a gift. Every single one of it. I'm being reminded of this. As we start up another soccer season and I've got a group of players and some of them can do glory. And most of them can't. Some of them can, wow, that was amazing. What's the difference? Is it just work? Is this just a Michael Jordan kind of approach to life? You just, Kobe Bryant, you just work hard. And it's not just that. There are God-given gifts. Anything that is good about you, it is not because of you. It is not from you. And that works for Christians too. If you are good at something and someone in the church says, thank you, that was so helpful. God gave you that gift. It's about Him. You were saved by Him. And for him, for my own sake, he says, I do not pour my anger on you. For my name. Now, one quick qualification. This is not calling for false humility or self-loathing. Okay? There has to be a way that God is at work in his people where They can draw attention to something that God used you to do, and you can accept that. You can receive it by reflecting, whether that's verbally or just knowing in your heart. A lot of times it has to be verbal. But self-loathing does not bring glory to a God who has started a good work in you. He started it. He's doing it. So just denying everything is not bringing glory to a God who's doing that thing through you. We receive as a reflection. We heard earlier, He is going to get the praise of every person. Somehow, He's going to be praised by every person, everywhere. And even in the piddly things of life, you are to do it to please Him. Whatever you do. Whether you eat, or you drink, or whatever you do, every meaningless thing you do only to please Him. He is after it all. And He's going to get it. Now, 
If you're here and you don't know this king that I've been speaking of, and, and what I mean by not knowing him is I don't mean you don't, you don't know his name. I mean you don't know him in glory. You not looked at him and seen that he is all glorious. I mean, you're not living for the fame of the Lord Jesus. There is a great danger in your life, and you may not fully appreciate this. There is a, there is a prayer that Job prays that God is going to answer, and we have a little picture of that here in Acts. The prayer comes from Job 40, which is, look on everyone who is proud, God, and bring them down. And don't just bring them down, tread them down. Tread down the wicked where they stand. That doesn't mean just trip them. That means step on their heads. And God is about that very work. But He's also the God who dies for sinners. Who is glorified. Jesus says before He goes to the cross, Father, glorify Your name in My hour of death for sinners and save them. He glorifies Himself by forgiving and paying the debt to forgive sinners who are proud. You will get no better offer in this game. Repent of living for yourself and live for Him. And you will live. Live for the glory of the Lord or you won't live at all. But point number two is notice we don't just have a voice that is struck down. We have a word that is spread wide. We have a word that is spread wide. God, uh, Luke is, is telling us, look at the difference between the living word of God and the last word of Herod. This is the last thing you're hearing about him. But the word of God is alive and well. Verses 24 and 25 teach us three important lessons about a glory that is worth living for. Three lessons about a glory that is worth living for. First of all, is the promise of glory. The promise of glory. In other words, God promised that He would glorify Himself. That's in verse 24. When we see the words, the Word of God increased and multiplied. We're to remember where God first said those words. Genesis chapter 1. God makes humanity not to be the glorious ones in the world, but to reflect the glorious one in the world. This is the call of humanity. Be fruitful, increase and multiply. Why would God want to multiply His own image? It is so that the there is no place you can look in all the world that does not reflect His glory. That's what He's after. These are glory words increased and multiplied. But they didn't do it. 
And so the next book starts, Exodus chapter 1, and we see the words increased and multiplied again. But this time it's referring to the special people of God, Israel, who increase and multiply under slavery in Pharaoh. Pharaoh is specifically, he is committed to them not multiplying. And they increase and multiply nonetheless. Why should should God repeat the glory words in Exodus chapter 1? It's because Exodus is a book about a war for glory. So the whole book is about, is Pharaoh better than God? Can Pharaoh stop God? Can his God stop God? And you know the story. Here's the point. He has promised it. He's behind it. From the beginning, God has been devoted to His own ambition to glorify Himself, to multiply worship, to fill the world with people who say, you're the most glorious thing in all the world. That is a glory worth living for because it's the only glory that will survive. Second lesson about glory is the prosperity of the gospel that we see in verse 24. I said prosperity of the gospel, not the gospel, uh, the, the prosperity gospel. There's a huge difference. One makes much of people, the other. The gospel is what is triumphing where Adam did not and where Israel and Exodus did not. So what we have in chapter 12, verse 24, is one of these summary phrases. We'll see this throughout the book of Acts. You can go back to chapter 6, verse 7, and you can see the same kind of idea that, that the Word of God is what is increasing and multiplying. The Word of God is what is bringing glory to the world. The Word of God is what is lifting up Jesus. And the, these summary statements are dividing up our book so that we're, we're seeing the progress of the Word of God everywhere. That, that, that's why in chapter 6, verse 7, it says the Word of God is increasing and multiplying in Jerusalem. But the very next verse speaks of the Word spreading from Jerusalem. So that this last section, isn't that what we've seen throughout the book of Acts? In this last section, the Word is spreading not just in Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem to people who are outside the Jews. And our section ends with the number one Jew, the King of Israel, trying to stop God's gospel, killing James, trying to kill Peter, trying to steal God's glory. And the point comes, there is no sword in the world that can stop the word but all I need is a worm to kill the king. The ascended Lord Jesus is causing the news of Him, the gospel to, uh, 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 of saving sinners. He's causing that message. You kill one messenger, He raises up more. He causes the message to triumph over every threat. And He spreads the glory of God isn't this amazing? The glory of God and salvation to us who are humbled and told, stop reaching for glory. I'll save you. 
I'll save you, glory stealers. How amazing that He ties His glory to saving His enemies. It is that gospel that is reaching the whole world and saving the world. If we live for the wrong glory, we will be guaranteed to lose. But if you live for the right glory, it will not be wasted. If you line yourself up with the Word that works everywhere, in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the ends of the world, the Word works. No one can stop it. If you align yourself with that message and give yourself to speaking that and living that, you can live for glory. And it will not be a wasted life. The third thing that I want us to hear about glory, a glory worth living for, is the provision of God. We see the provision of God in verse 25. And this simple statement about what happened with Barnabas and Saul and now Mark. Where is Jesus in this story of King Herod's death? It, it seems like verse 25 just doesn't belong in the story. You just hear this this we're just kind of catching up on the, the odds and ends. You know, remember that Saul's about to play an important part in the story, so I'm just going to tell you he's returned back from his service. The question is, what service? He's coming back after having completed his service. What service? Back in chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. When they heard that there was a famine, when they heard that the people of Jesus needed food. And so, Saul and Barnabas take up an offering and take money to, to the Christians in Jerusalem to make sure they don't starve to death. That's the end of this story about people who depend upon a king for food. Can you imagine Tyre and Sidon? Who can we get? Who will, who will persuade this maniac to feed us? Blast us. Let's go to blast us. And then there's this big party. And it works. They finally persuaded their king to, fi- to, to, to feed them. And, and now that they can sustain their lives. And then their meal ticket croaks. What a waste. To have depended on him. So verse 25 says, there's another king. There's another king who died. Luke told us about him earlier when the disciples find out on the road to Emmaus about Jesus dying. They say, well, how can he king us anymore? How can he be king for us? How can he provide for us anymore? We thought that he was going to be the king. We thought that he was going to provide for us. And they're walking with the one who's risen. So we're reminded again in verse 25. He's alive and well. He's not dead. He's in heaven and he's just running all of this. He's providing for his starving servants. He's protecting his preachers from vainglorious murderers. He's making sure his glory is going to spread because the gospel is going to continue to go out. See Saul, Barnabas, and Mark who will go on their missionary journey after this. His word will keep. 
Not only does this word save us, I mean, listen, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for you who wait for him. This is a king whose every word will keep. Jesus will glorify himself in blessing believers beyond our imagination. Herod is like every other king, really. He, he starves those who don't live for him. Really, he, this is the outcome of living for every other glory. You will starve. You will die. You will become like whoever you live for. Dead. Do you understand why verse 25 is here? Is there really another reasonable choice for who you will live for than the king who lives to sustain the life of his people? March Madness is upon us. Y'all know I love March Madness. I'm such a fan. Uh, I do like to, I, I like to get the brackets, you know, and I look at all these schools who I have no idea who they are. I don't know where they are. I don't know who's good. I don't watch any basketball. I just want to play. And so I picked the March Madness brackets. I, I remember playing basketball one year or two years in my life and remember that Duke's supposed to be pretty good. So if I see Duke paired up against whatever that community college is at the end of my street on Brazos, um, if I see that, easy, Duke, every heart wants to win, wants to achieve, wants to acquire in this world that hates suffering, that hates affliction. We want to win. We want to be winners. We want to associate with winners. We want to make the right call. Get out your brackets. There's the king's prison and a church hiding in prayer. Who's going to win? There's all the king's men versus one angel. Who's going to win? There's a tiny seed and a great big world. Can that seed overtake the world? I was reading a story to my daughter a couple weeks ago called Buster's Ears Trip Him Up. You may know it. It's this little bunny who is famous at the summer camp for winning the race. No one can beat this bunny. And everyone knows he's going to win. And, and so people are really thrilled when they get paired with the bunny in the, in the relay race because he's going to ensure that they win. And everyone's sad, and he's so proud about it. He's telling everyone he's going to beat his, his record from the year before, all this stuff. So Buster starts running the race, and the ears, the floppy ears of the bunny, Get in his, get in his eyes. This is embarrassing, right? Uh, and, and he can't see where he's going. And then the ears fall down, finally, and trip him up. And he loses the race. Jesus casts down the proud. At the height of their pomp, at the assembly, on the appointed day, so everyone can see it, in all the glory that He can muster, a great and powerful King who kills 
the enemy, and a squishy worm. Who would you pick? Will you listen to reason? Whose glory are you going to live your life for? Oh God, we pray that you would cause us to be wise and that we would live for the glory of the one who came and was killed and who's not dead, who defeated what we cannot defeat, who is reigning in heaven and calling all the shots. He doesn't even have to show up to do what he can do. He can do it from there. He is glorious. Lord Jesus, you are glorious. Make us wise. Give us grace to glorify you and live. We ask this in your name. Amen.